about two years ago, I hit the wall with it, she said. I said I was going to listen to my inner voice. The whole vaccination process is based on fear of getting diseases, but I would rather put my faith in God to heal diseases. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. And with me today at the Clinician's Roundtable are Drs. John Abramson and Dr. Lance Rodewald. Dr. Abramson is a professor and chair of the Department of Pediatrics at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Dr. Abramson is a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Task Force on Immunization and chaired the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices from July 2005 to June 2007. Dr. Rodewald is the director of the Immunization Services Division in the National Immunization Program of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. Today we're discussing conscientious objector status as the reason to avoid immunization. Hi, Dr. Abramson and Dr. Rodewald. It's great to have you joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, thank you. We're happy to be here. The quotation I opened with was from the New York Times article by Fran Silverman, More Families Are Shunning Inoculations. I'd like to ask each one of you, should people be free to listen to their inner voice when it comes to immunizations? Perhaps Dr. Abramson first? That's actually a tough question. So most states have a religious objection, and the quote you gave, if that was the basis for it, it's tough to say no to that. But they they also need to understand what risk they're putting themselves at and what risk they're putting their neighbors at. And so, for example, in measles, there's a measles outbreak, and there, there is one going on right now. You're putting yourself at a 30-fold risk above those who are immunized, and you're also putting uh, your neighbors at risk because measles is an incredibly contagious disease, and someone who may have only gotten one shot of measles and may not have responded because about 5-10% of uh, those who get the measles shot don't respond to the first one are also at an increased risk. And there's a nice study out of Colorado, I think, that pretty well demonstrates the risk that what happens when measles is introduced into a closed community like a school or a town and who gets who gets that disease. Lance, can you listen to your inner voice and shun immunizations? Yeah, I think um, what we'd like to see is the inner voice that parents have tell them and remind them that vaccination is the safest way to protect their children from vaccine-preventable diseases. And as Dr. Abramson pointed out, that a choice to not vaccinate their own child not only places their own child at risk, but may place other children at risk as well. And so I think the right thing to do for parents is to vaccinate their child, protect their child, and help protect others through the indirect benefits that vaccines have. Let's talk about this outbreak of measles in San Diego. There were 12 cases reported due to a child who brought the disease back from Switzerland. How did this happen? Who's responsible? Perhaps, Dr. Rodewald, since you represent our government at this time, you know, what's the government position or your position personally? Yeah, I'm a, a pediatrician myself. And of course, parents do have the right to opt out of vaccination. And the parents of this seven-year-old boy opted to not have him vaccinated. He traveled to Switzerland acquired measles. They're having quite a bit of measles in Switzerland because they have low, currently low vaccination coverage rates there against measles and brought the disease back here. And the quite unfortunate part, um, not only did this child get sick, but he also participated in a chain of transmission of measles and other children got measles as well, including children that were too young to be vaccinated 
and other children who have exempted themselves from vaccination. Now, I understand that this was, and California has a personal beliefs exemption, or they call it a PBE. So this, as I understand it, these families did not have a religious reason or a moral reason, but they just had, you know, again, I respect people's personal beliefs. But should they have been allowed to go without immunizing their child? And let me ask another question. If you exempt yourself from immunizations, should the government allow us to travel out of the country and perhaps bring back diseases? Because many of these vaccine-preventable diseases are worldwide. We've been very lucky in the United States. Should travel be restricted? I think it's a good question. I think we have to balance a too heavy-handed approach with an approach that really puts vaccination in the right context, that it is really the safest way to protect children, and this is all about protecting children from diseases. We like to see the school laws serve as reminders to get vaccinated and to help catching up the stragglers who may not have been vaccinated, but the the sort of police powers attendant with school laws are quite powerful, and the reason that exemptions exist is that there does need to be an escape valve for people who have medical reasons to not be vaccinated or who have religious reasons not to be vaccinated, or who have strong personal beliefs. And these exemptions really exist to accommodate some of the variety and variations that we have in the U.S. But as I said earlier, I think we really want that inner voice of the parents to be reminding themselves that vaccination is an important thing for them to do for their children, and as Dr. Abramson pointed out, for other children as well. I think what's the way out the risk of measles in our own minds? The major side effect to the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine is a one in, about 1 in 30,000 risk that the playbook count may go down for a little while, but it's going to come back up. It's not permanent. That's really the major risk. There are certainly local side, local reactions, but they're transient and pretty minor versus the, the risk that your child is going to get measles as this child did and that you're also going to infect other people in, in the area. And there's actually a term for these. These aren't people who have a religious objection. These are people who are saying, well, everybody else is getting vaccinated. I'm going to not do that because I'm going to lower my risk even further. And they're called free riders. That's a term that's come up. And it's under the belief that let everybody else take the risk and protect themselves and the the chance my child will get infected since we've been able to now fairly much eradicate measles in the United States endogenously. And by that, I mean a case occurring that originated in the United States, which this case did not. And so you're weighing those risks. And to me, it's being a free rider is not fair to the people around you, but it's also not fair to your child. You're putting your child at substantial risk, even though you think you're not. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us to this very interesting discussion on the conscientious objector reason for not immunizing children. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. I'm speaking with Dr. John Abramson and Dr. Lance Rodewald. We're discussing a very critical issue here. So, John, it it sounds to me like you're going to say and... Sidney Gellis, a number of years ago, said, I can respect the fact if you don't want your child immunized, but don't send them to school with my kid. It sounds to me like you're saying, you know, a personal belief exemption needs to be respected, but it's A, unfair to the child, it's B, unfair to everybody else's children. Would you therefore say, you know, keep your child home? Don't travel out of the country? You can homeschool your child, as you know. So in my state, it's very, very hard, which is North Carolina, it's very, very hard to get a personal exception. You certainly can get a religious exception. 
and in California, which I wasn't aware of, I guess the personal exemption exists, and therefore you see, again, an example of a consequence of that. Let me ask you each about a CNN report. This is from Prince George's County, Maryland, and a judge... C. Philip Nichols signed a letter threatening parents with jail or fines for failure to immunize their children. He said, we got a thousand kids back in school by sending one letter. And the state's attorney, Glenn Ivey, said to parents, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way, but it's going to have to get done. I'm willing to move forward with legal action. Should there be a law either granting or preventing conscientious objective status? Well, again, I think there's good examples. Maryland, a couple of years ago, there were thousands of kids not allowed back into school who had not gotten their, all the vaccines that are required to be in school. Most of them were not conscientious objectives. Most of them had just never gotten around to getting immunized. And it was very effective. As soon as they said, you're not getting back into school until you do, until you get vaccinated, the vast majority of them went and got vaccinated. So I think it's a very effective way of doing it. Lance, what would you do? Well, I I think that John also raises a very important point is that the school laws, in order for them to be effective, have to be enforced. The school laws in general were put on the books in the 60s and into the 70s, and it wasn't until there were comparisons of schools that actually enforced the school laws with no shots, no school policy that they were able to do a comparison of states that did and did not enforce the school laws and found out that the rate of measles outbreaks in schools for the low enforcement states was many times higher than the rates of measles outbreaks in the states that actually enforced the school laws. And so that's something that really is critically important. And generally, the health officials are able to remind parents that they need to get their child vaccinated, and the no-shots-no-school approach has been highly effective. In the 1970s, the health official in Los Angeles basically kicked 50,000 children out of school, and the vast, vast majority of them were vaccinated and back in school just within a few days, and this basically stopped a measles outbreak in Los Angeles. Yeah, let me let me make sure, and Lance also needs to comment on this, that we're clear on something, and that is we do, not every vaccination, not every vaccine is mandated. The ones that should be mandated are the ones where in a closed setting, such as a school, you are at substantially high risk of getting the disease if the disease is introduced. And measles is the absolute classic example of that. It is incredibly contagious in a closed setting. And so while I have not, and I've stated this publicly, I'm not in favor, for instance, of the human papillomavirus vaccine being mandated and and, you, and a child being kicked out of school if they don't get it for a bunch of reasons, one which is that it's not something that's more contagious in the school than in the non-school setting. I am in favor of those diseases where we have a vaccine that are such as measles, where it's highly contagious in that setting. Uh, having those mandates. I I would agree, yeah. I think one of the things that's very interesting about the school laws is there have been a couple studies on the way that the school laws are implemented has an impact on the effectiveness of implementation. For example, if it's very easy to get an exemption, the so-called exemptions of convenience, versus a more difficult one all the way to perhaps having to have a notarized letter from a provider or from a health official on the hard-to-get-an-exemption side, it turns out that the number of exemptions, of course, is much higher with the easy-to-get exemption. And then there was a very nice study that showed the incidence of pertussis was higher in the states that had easy-to-get exemptions. And so even how the, the laws, not only whether they're enforced, but how they're implemented and carried out, 
really has an impact on how well they work, and it's sort of a constant vigilance with these school laws to keep them as effective and powerful as possible, because we have to remember at the end of the day, what they're really doing is protecting children's health. I echo what Dr. Gerberding said, and I quote, nothing in any of this is going to change our recommendations for childhood immunizations. Our message to parents is that immunizations are life-saving, and I agree with that 100%. And on that note, I'd like to thank Dr. John Abramson and Dr. Lance Rodewald for joining us. We've been discussing whether or not a conscientious objector exemption to vaccination should be allowed. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.